Whenever I open my bank account, Chase.com, I get the same exact feeling that I get walking the aisles of Lowe's, the big mega hardware store. So I pull into Lowe's parking lot, and the first thing I say to myself is, Joe, what are you doing here? What on earth are you doing here? You have no business here. And then as I'm walking the aisles, I sort of, I sort of put my shoulders back, and I pretend that I'm a contractor, and I know what I'm doing, and I don't want anybody's help. But the truth is, the sooner I can ask for assistance, you know those people who walk on those aisles and they tell you where to go? Sometimes they're friendly, most of the time they're not. Well, the sooner I ask for help, the better when it comes to home improvement, when it comes to Lowe's. Well, it's the same with me for money. The sooner I ask for help, the better. But I don't often want to talk about money. I don't often ask for help with regard to money. And it occurred to me even recently that I am so free to speak about my soul, but not my savings. Why is that? Why do I seek counsel in almost every area of my life except personal finances? Well, it's the last thing I want to talk to or talk about. I don't even want to talk about it with my wife. And I, t- I say, I tell my wife everything. I know I'm not alone. There's a recent poll that shows that personal finance is the number one taboo topic for conversation. So Americans would rather talk about death at Thanksgiving. They would rather talk about uh, politics they would rather talk about religion than they would not just money, but their money. And the problem is, polls also show us that personal finances are the number one stressor in our life. So, for instance, I learned in a recent study that asked 150 people what caused the most stress in their life. Was it family? Was it health? Was it the state of the world? Or personal finances. Personal finances topped the list. And so let's review. There's two lists. Most taboo. And most stressful. And money tops both. So it's no wonder money is killing us. It's no wonder that, uh, that we are struggling with money. Money is killing us and we don't want to even talk about it. We don't even want to reveal any of the struggles with anybody else. I think of the Christian martyr, uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was German, who died at the hands of Hitler for not bending his knee uh, to, the, to the tyrant. Well, he, he said that sin loves isolation. Sin grows in isolation. It's like, it's like the crawl space in your basement that you never open because you don't want to open it. Well, things nest in there and things grow in there and things multiply in there. And so it is with our bank accounts, things like anxiety. Greed, pride, deep fear can be tied into our money and nobody knows, including ourselves oftentimes. We just don't go there. We just don't go there. Well, a wise person talks about money. A wise person opens the crawl space with their flashlight. It's all Jesus talked about. Did you know it's the number one thing that he talked about in his parables? And who's Jesus? Jesus is Proverbs with sandals. He is the true wise person. 
He's the one who is perfectly wise. Paul says he is our wisdom. And all he talked about was money and how it impacts our heart. And so a wise person talks about money. And so Proverbs, like Jesus, is going to have that awkward conversation that nobody wants to have. Including me. I was telling Josie, my wife, I'm like, I don't want to preach this sermon on wealth. Who wants to preach on wealth? I certainly don't. But here we are. What does he have to say? What does God have to say? How does God want us to relate to our money? Well, there are two unhealthy ways to relate to our money. And then there's one healthy way or one wise way. And we'll look at all three. Let's start with the two unhealthy ways. The first is this. When we write off wealth. In Christian circles especially, we sometimes write off well. We have a reductionistic view about money, and we simply understand that greed is wrong. We understand that injustice with tied into money is wrong, and therefore wealth altogether is wrong. But Proverbs, it just has to be said, says that it's unwise to see wealth as inherently wrong. So if you take a look, if you're following along, at chapter 10, verse 4, Chapter 10, verse 4, tells us that ending material poverty is a battle worth fighting. Ending material poverty is indeed a good thing. A slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. And then if you fast forward a few verses to chapter 10, verse 22, that verse will tell us that material wealth can be from the Lord. The blessing of the Lord makes rich, and he adds no sorrow with it. Now, as I said, this is not a fast, a free pass or a fast pass to greed. This doesn't baptize sin. Of course not. And some would use this verse that way. Why isn't it a fast pass to greed? Well, notice the source of material blessing in this verse. Do you see it? What's the source of material blessing? It's the Lord, which means that the way we handle our wealth has to be in line with who owns it. More on that later. The bottom line is there seems to be a nuanced picture of wealth in Proverbs that says it's not inherently bad. How could it be? But on the other hand, it is to be stewarded as the owner desires. So we can't just write off wealth. That's the first, I think, unhealthy or unwise approach to wealth. I'm standing here. Frankly, I am standing here because of the wealth of Robert and Patricia Kern. Do you know those names? You probably don't. Uh, they're this engineering power couple. They're like real life Tony Starks. They're like they got married and they and they started building stuff in their garage. And they came up with this with this generator, this portable generator. And they called their company Generac. Have you heard of that? Generac? Many of you probably have a Generac or your business has a Generac. Well, they invented this this Generac. The other day, my dad called me and he said, said, Joe, they're tearing up my yard. They're installing a Generac in our house. I don't know what to do. And I said, Dad, 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 Generac paid for my tuition at seminary. He's like, really? I love this thing now. You know, this is amazing. Point is, this couple... The Kearns, Patricia and Robert, after they sold their company, they started paying the full tuition of over 50 seminary students each year. 
Why? Because they wanted to ask the question, okay, God, you gave us wealth. Now, how do you want us to use your wealth? How do you want us to bless others? And they very strategically thought about it. And they thought, you know what? What if we made graduate school debt for pastors non-existent so they could actually do ministry? Isn't that amazing? So I'm standing here because of wealth well used. So we can't write off wealth. Do you see? We can't write off wealth. I think of Luke, the author of the Gospel of Luke and and the Acts of the Apostles. I think of Luke who used his wealth. Do you remember? He was a physician. He was a doctor. He had wealth. He had personal income. And he used his wealth to investigate and then report on the life of Jesus. And now we have Luke and we have Acts. In fact, in chapter 8 of the Gospel of Luke, he records this this cadre of, of women, Mary and Joanna and Susanna, and then many other women, so many other women, who provided financially for Jesus and his twelve. We can't write off wealth. That's an unhealthy way to relate to money. And Proverbs teaches us that material wealth is not inherently bad. And so it's how we use wealth that matters. It's the same with the other two things in America's unholy trinity, right? Money, sex, and power. We can talk about sex and power too this way. The scriptures are clear. Sex is not inherently bad, but it's how we approach our sex lives. Is it ordered according to God's wisdom? Is it ordered according to God's design? Similarly, power. God is powerful. He is most powerful. Power is not inherently bad. What matters is how do you wield the power that you have? And if you don't think you have authority or power, friends, you need to wake up. Because the chances are you're abusing your power if you don't even know you have power. You all do. I'm here to say you all do. In your different spheres. So the question is, how are you using? Are you blessing the weak? Are you defending the weak with your power? Same is true with money. How do you use your wealth? That's the question. You can't write it off. I mean, I think sometimes we write it off because it's easier that way. We can't write it off. It's like saying, I don't, I don't, I don't have any authority. I don't have any power. And therefore, you just sort of you excuse yourself. From asking hard and difficult questions about your stewardship of the authority you've been given. Similarly with money. I mean, did you know, you probably do, that we are the wealthiest people in the world. If you make, uh, what is it? If you make $10,000 a year, you are wealthier than 84% of the entire world. If you make uh, uh, $50,000 a year, you make more than 99% of the world. So let me ask you, how are you wielding your wealth? That's the question. And that's the first error. That's the first unwise approach to wealth is when we, when we write it off. There's another, and I think you know it's coming. What is it? It's when we worship wealth. It's the opposite reaction to the first unwise approach. It's when we relate to wealth as a false savior. Now, we may say we worship God, but what are you relying on? You know, what makes you most nervous in the morning? What makes you most joyous during the day? And if you trace that line, if you trace those breadcrumbs, it might take you to an altar. And at that altar, it just might not be the living God. It might be something else. And so we worship not the giver, but his gifts. 
when do we do this? Well, I tend to think of money, and money is such a, a heart issue. And I often think this too. The reason we don't talk about money is because money sinks to the depths of our hearts and reveals the depths of our idolatry. And who wants to go there with anybody else? It exposes our fears. It exposes our desires. Have you thought about that? I think wealth, I had this thought on a walk, I think wealth sinks deepest, or money sinks deepest into our core of our being because we see wealth as either a gateway to our happiness or a fortress against our fears. I don't think many of us worship dollar bills as dollar bills. I think we like what they give us, what is behind them. And it can be either a gateway to what will make us happy, whether that's status in the eyes of others, whether that's more stuff. There's all kinds of things that could be behind that. Or it is a fortress against the things that we're most afraid of. We see this reflected in Proverbs. I mean, as a gate to happiness, we see in Proverbs 3, verse 13, this. If you want to turn there and follow along, you can. Proverbs 3, verse 13 warns us that happiness does not come from wealth. So take a look. 3.13 says, blessed or happy or happy. Okay, So blessed or happy is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding for the gain from her. That is wisdom and understanding is better than gain from silver and from her and her profit better than gold. The other wisdom book, Ecclesiastes chapter five, verse 10 warns us that money does not satisfy. Listen to Solomon here. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money. Nor he who loves wealth with his income. This too is vanity. So what we see here is that when we use money as a gate to happiness, the scriptures warn us against that. And the reason they warn us against that is because it's a real temptation. Love of money is a gateway to false idols. It just is. Okay, what else? So I, I, and I tend to resonate with this very much. Money often sinks to the roots of our heart issues because it is a fortress against our deepest fears. What are you most afraid of? Proverbs 18, verse 10, compares the Lord with wealth. And listen to what it says. It says, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. And a strong tower in the ancient context was safety. It was your safety. And, and it says, it goes on in 18 verse 10, it says the righteous man. And so the righteous man, the righteous person runs into it and is safe. So they run into the Lord and is actually safe. And then there's a contrast. A rich man's wealth is his strong city and like a high wall in his imagination. So yes, Proverbs, Solomon is comparing wealth to an imaginary high wall. And that's how it operates. That's just how it operates. It's an imaginary high wall that we try to achieve safety behind. But it will not work. It will not work. It is an unwise approach to money. And so Solomon here is offering a choice. It's like red pill, blue pill. What is it? It's approach your finances with fear or with faith. And I'm just going to be honest. I approach it with fear. 
And I think it's okay because this world is a scary place. And so I'm, I just sort of baptize it. I'm like, it's okay. It's okay to just be completely afraid of everything relating to my personal finances. I have a friend who is in the grip of fear concerning his bank account. Uh, kind of like how a dog guards his bone. Do you have a dog like that? A dog guards his bone. I know not all dogs do this. I don't own a dog. I'm, not, I'm just going from hearsay. But like a dog owns, uh, uh, guards his bone. This, uh, this friend of mine was sort of had that approach to their, to their money. And it took an older Christian brother to say, man, listen, even if you lose everything, The ship isn't going to sink. Brother, you are in Christ and you have his riches. You are in community and you have his body. The ship isn't going to sink. And I saw the idol of fear just dissolve. Oh, yeah. That's right. I am wealthy in Christ. I don't have to be driven by fear. Our family at dinner time sometimes plays happy crappy. I'm sorry if that's a bad word in your family. Um, we play this game and, and we ask ourselves, hey, looking back at the, at, the, at the day that you just had, what was happy and what was sad? That's what I should have said. Happy, sad. Anyway, but happy, sad, happy, sad, happy, sad. And so what I would love for you to do is to play that game right now with, with, with the Lord. Okay, so think of it this way. Is my money a gateway to something I think will make me happy? Be honest. Is my money a a, a fortress against something I think will make me sad? It's really that easy. Do I am I approaching my personal finances as a gateway or a fortress? And if you are, now is the time to repent because it doesn't work. Not only doesn't it work, but it's sin. It's actually trusting in your money instead of Jesus, instead of the Lord. It's idolatry. And he wants to free you from that. And he does, which takes us to our third point, which is wealth with wisdom. Proverbs shows us a radically different approach to money than all that the world offers. It strikes me as I'm studying this all this past week. It's a way of wisdom. It's a healthy relationship to money. And it has three ingredients. And the first ingredient is this. It's when we are centered on God. When God is the center of your orbit, when God is the center of your orbit, you have a a healthy approach to wealth. When he is not in the center of your orbit, you will not have a healthy relationship with your money. You won't. But if he is the center, then you you might. Because Proverbs talks time and time again about the fear of the Lord as the beginning, as the, the foundation stone and the critical component to all of life from beginning to end. It's the fear of the Lord. And as we've been saying time and time and time again, we might be afraid of that word, fear of the Lord. It doesn't sound, uh, it doesn't sound, we don't know what to do with it. But don't you remember what it means? It means uh, it's a relational term. Okay. It's, it's like, it's like, a, it's a combination of awe and intimacy. It's a childlike relationship with God that is in awe of his holiness and yet has access to God, has his smile. And when those two things combine, we have what the Bible describes as the fear of the Lord. It's not how I felt in front of my neighbor's dog, which I called Cujo behind his back. That's not the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord rather is a childlike combination of awe and intimacy. And we need to decenter wealth 
in orbit around the Lord. So that's number one. I think a healthy relationship to wealth is one in which we are centered on God. I think number two is a healthy relationship with God is when we are stewards for God. It's been said that in the Greek, in the Greco-Roman culture, ownership was everything. And when the gospel came, when, when the news of Jesus came, and when his followers started speaking and started sharing this gospel, something unique happened. Ownership shifted to stewardship. And what is a steward? A steward, if you think about it, a steward is somebody who is judged by how well they, they take care of something for the owner. So a good steward basically takes care of what they're given and is always thinking, how does this giver want me to steward what they have? What are, what are his wishes? A bad steward takes something like a library book and says, thanks library, and then just uses it for whatever reason they want. And doesn't return the library book. And maybe makes a collage out of all the pages. Or maybe makes a sled during wintertime, you know? You ever slid on a, on a book cover before? I don't know why I thought of that. It seems plausible. But you're doing all kinds of things that are completely out of accord with the owner's wishes. A steward is thinking, how on earth do I do this in a way that is in alignment with the owner? And that's another healthy approach to wealth. What if we started to view every dollar that we have as God's? I know that's not anything new. I get that. But what if we really started to think that way? So Proverbs 3, 9 through 10 says, honor the Lord with your wealth. There you go. Stewards honor the giver. And it says, with the first fruits of all your produce. This is a recognition that all is God's, including you. You are God's. What is our only hope in life and in death? That we are not our own but belong, body and soul, to our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. That is our hope. That we don't belong to ourselves. And none of the things that we have actually fundamentally belongs to us either. That is a freedom that I wish you all could taste and that I wish I could taste. And so, as I said, stewards reflect and they manage money that God gave us in ways that He would. And so I'll just give you one example you see this all over the place, and I encourage you to study Proverbs with this, with this mindset. Uh, Proverbs 22.16 teaches us to be just with the money that we have. And to connect justice with money. And so, so for instance, it says this, Whoever oppresses the poor to increase his own wealth... Business owners, listen, whoever oppresses the poor to increase his own wealth or gives to the rich will only come to poverty, it says. Or 11 verse 1 says, says a false balance is kind of disappointing to God. No, it says a false balance is an abomination to God. Why? Because the Lord is holy. He is holy and he is just. And we are stewards of all that he has given us. And so if we are unjust with wealth, then we are out of accord with our maker. That's why it's such a big deal. Number three, though. So we're centered on God. We're stewards of, for God. Number three, we'll have a healthy relationship to wealth. And this is the most important point to me. And I want it to land for you. It's when we are satisfied in God. 
We will have a healthy relationship to our money only when we are satisfied in God. When we are wealthy in God. When we are wealthy in Jesus, we will have the most healthy attitude and approach of our own wealth. And listen, maybe you've been saying this whole time, I don't have wealth, this sermon doesn't apply to me. It all applies. Because you can have love of money and have no money. You can have a very unhealthy approach to wealth and have no wealth. It's a hard attitude. And so what I'm trying to say is that the scriptures will urge you to see yourself as wealthy in the Lord. And that is, that is the way to wisdom. Satisfaction in God makes us content. Take a look at Proverbs 30, verse 7. It's the only prayer in Proverbs. Proverbs 30, verse 7. It's the only prayer. Two things I ask of you. Deny them not to me before I die. Remove far from me falsehood and lying and give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me. Lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. I mean, this prayer, this only prayer in Proverbs sounds a lot by, a lot like the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. Does it not give me this bread, my daily bread? There's a contentment with that prayer, isn't there? There's a contentment. You're asking God to provide. And I think you can only pray that if Jesus is your bread. I think satisfaction in God makes us content. It also makes us generous. So Proverbs eleven twenty four says that a person who is spiritually wealthy will give freely. Listen to what this verse says. One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers lack. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched. And I love this verse. Whoever waters will themselves be watered. Verse 28, whoever trusts in his riches will fail, but the righteous will flourish like a green leaf. The righteous, the person who is wealthy in the Lord will actually flourish like a leaf because they are giving it all away. They're they're radically generous. They don't need their wealth for security because who is their security? The Lord is their strong tower. And they're trusting in the Lord and not in their riches. And they give and they give and they give. And you know what happens? The Lord's like, all right, I'm going to keep giving you stuff so you can give more out. You're like a, like, a, like, a, like a water hose, you know? More water there. Go. Boom. Water, water, water. More water. Water, water, water. All right, more water. It's a beautiful, beautiful picture of generosity. My grandma, uh, she kept a secret stash of money on top of her china cabinet. I think it was from bingo money. And she never spent it. And year after year after year after year, this stash just grew and grew and grew. And we discovered it after she passed away. And so it occurs to me that we all have a secret stash. We just all do. If you are in Christ, you have a secret stash that you can draw upon. It's the wealth you have in Jesus. It's the inheritance that he has sealed by the Holy Spirit. That's your secret stash. 
So, you, so you're looking at your money go up. You're looking at your money go down. You can always say, I have a secret stash. It's okay. Or as my parents call it, cold cash. They kept, they kept money in the freezer. Anybody do that? They kept money in the freezer. That was their cold cash. Okay? You have cold cash. If you're in Christ, you have cold cash. Listen to Hebrews 13. It says, keep your life free from the love of money. In other words, don't be so attached to the, to the money that you have. Instead, be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And so we can confidently say, Hebrews says, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? That is your secret stash. It's Jesus saying to you, looking you straight in the eyes and saying, I will never leave you. The ship is not going to sink. That's your secret stash. And it will never go out. Unlike cold cash and unlike my grandma's bingo money, it will never go out. And for us, I think to be truly content, we need to feel spiritually wealthy. He who was rich became poor so that we could have all of his riches. We need to feel that wealth at our core to be most well, to be most wise with our money. How do you know when you're content? Well, uh, one author says three things happen. You don't sneer at the wealthy. You don't judge the wealthy. Like when you know you're spiritually wealthy in Jesus, Slowly and surely, you don't start judging people that have more money than you. The other thing that starts happening when you're spiritually wealthy is you don't disrespect the poor. James says those who are materially poor are often spiritually rich. And so we don't have this condescending attitude towards the materially poor ever again. In fact, we sit down and learn So we don't sneer at the, at the rich, we don't disrespect the poor, and we become ever more generous with what we have. That's what spiritually wealthy people do. So what is a wise approach to money? It's drawing on, it's resting in, it's relishing in the wealth that is Jesus. Jesus.